One of the blessings of being an independent fellowship is that we are not bound by any denominational regulations. We're not bound by any particular traditions. We don't have anything back behind us that says you must do this. We basically can just sit and take it straight from the Word. Now, that is not a statement of condemnation at all upon denominational churches. I'm not saying that none of them are taking it from the Word. But what I am saying is that there's a tremendous amount of freedom to either follow the Lord and listen to Him or go way off course. Comforted? (laughs) And so I was thinking about as we're talking about the Holy Spirit... Tragically to me, one of the more divisive conversations in Christianity today, and it should not be that way. Because the Word of God is so absolutely clear about His intentions regarding His Spirit, and what He desires to do in us, and through us, and upon us, and alongside us. And so it shouldn't be a point of contention. Truly, the the Spirit is the one who brings unity. And so I just wanted to let you all know, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, last week, this week, Wednesday nights, we're about to launch into the book of Acts sometime this summer. We're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. Simply from the biblical perspective, to understand God's Word and God's will with with truly God's Spirit. And if you've been wondering as we go along, from time to time we've talked about the Spirit of the Lord as He has come up in Scripture, as we've seen specific specific reference to Him. But if you wonder, well, where are we going? What are we doing? All I can tell you is the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound of it, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What does that mean, Rick? It means we're going to go where the Spirit leads. It means we're going to be a fellowship based on what God desires us to be, not what our backgrounds desire us to be. And I'm committed to that. And I'm committed to seeing what God's Word has to say. We have been in God's Word for 11 years. We will continue in God's Word until Jesus comes. Preaching through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, that foundation that is so solid that we return to again and again. And at the same time, recognizing there is something we lack, something we need, especially in these last days, if we're to fulfill the calling that God has placed on this fellowship and on our lives. With that in mind, John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. One more time. When the Helper, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Strengthener, when the Parakletos comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me, Jesus says. And you will testify also, because you have been with me, from the beginning. Lord Jesus, You are calling on this fellowship. You are calling on each one of us as individual members of it. Members, Father, not truly of just this fellowship. Members of Your church body. Members of the larger citizenry of the kingdom. You have a call on our lives. You have a call on those who follow after the person in the name of Jesus. And we need Your Spirit to fulfill that call. So I pray for understanding. And I pray for awareness. And I pray for awakening in our hearts and upon us. As we sang earlier, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And have Your way and Your will with each of us, I pray. And speak to us now, Your Word of Truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it looks like I'm going to court. I received a summons and I'm due to appear at Island County Courthouse on June 2nd. I'm on jury duty. So those of you who are a little worried there, it's okay. 
But courtrooms can be intimidating and troubling. I, I actually was in a courtroom recently for that uh, traffic violation. <laughs> Scuttled into the back, sat down, and I, you know, if you've ever been in that position, you know, it's just, you feel like a child, like you're this big, and like the judge is your dad holding the belt. It it can be intimidating, austere rows of straight-backed wooden pews, a black-robed, white-collared figure behind a large, intimidating pulpit. Maybe you went to that church growing up. <laughs> that sense of impending doom, you know? There in the courtroom. Well, life can be that way. Troubling and intimidating. We can find ourselves in positions. And one of the most often used tools of the adversary, of the enemy, the accuser, is trouble by intimidation. To freak us out in the courtroom. The case is made. The verdict is in. The judgment is read. And as expected, you are guilty as charged. Well, see, that's what the enemy would say to you and to me. And so we need a good attorney for the defense. And we've got one. In the Holy Spirit of the living God. To the Jewish people, He is simply the Spirit of God. The Ruach Elohim, or the Spirit of the Lord. In the Hebrew Scriptures, in fact, there's only one place where you find any additional descriptive titles for the Spirit of the Lord. Everywhere else, He is either the Spirit, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of the Lord. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, I'll read it to you again this morning. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And that's the sum total of the description of the spirit of the Lord that we get in the Hebrew scriptures that the Jewish people had for so many centuries. In the New Testament scriptures, he is called the Holy Spirit 45 times. So, referred to quite a bit. But he has other more explicit designations throughout the New Testament. And I'm just going to give you a listing of these. And if you want to jot them down and I move too quickly, go listen online to this teaching again. And you can get them. This is right at the beginning, so it should be easy to find. The Spirit of God, he is called 12 times. As in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Spirit of the Lord, he's called 5 times. Again, as in the Hebrew Scriptures. 4 times, we hear him referred to as the Spirit of Truth. As we see from Jesus here in John 14, 15, and 16, and again, John refers to Him as the Spirit of Truth in 1 John chapter 4. So four times the Spirit of Truth. After that, He is called the Spirit of your Father. Matthew 10, verse 20. And these verses aren't up there because there were too many of them. He's called the Spirit of Jesus. Acts 16, verse 7. He's called the Spirit of Holiness. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 2. The Spirit of the living God, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. The Spirit of His Son, Galatians 4, 6. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 19. The Spirit of grace, Hebrews 10, 29. The Spirit of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 11. And finally, lastly, He is referred to as the Spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4, 14. All names for one and the same Spirit of the Lord. All names for one and the same Holy Spirit. All titles given to the one who proceeds from the Father, who is sent from the Father, but is also sent from Jesus Himself. How is that possible except that the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Son? He is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of the Father. Again, all one and the same Spirit. And in John 14, turn back one chapter to John 14, Jesus calls Him another Advocate. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper, another Advocate, another Strengthener, that He may be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. The Greek word there, specifically in verse 16, and I want you to catch this, get this, understand it, for another Helper is alon parakletos. 
Alon Parakletos, if he was another helper of a different kind, he would be called Hetero Parakletos. But he's called Alon Parakletos, which means another helper of the same kind. The same kind as who? The same kind as Jesus. Because he proceeds from Jesus Himself. He is another helper. He is, as we talked about last week, and we started making a list, five paraclete promises in John 14, 15, and 16. And the first one is my strong advocate. He's my strong advocate. Now this term was most often and most commonly used in Greek culture as a legal term. It means literally one who is summoned to the side of another as in court. It's a defense attorney. My strong advocate. Every time you see helper to a Greek reading the word parakletos, he would have gone, oh, so he's saying I will ask the father and he will give you a defense attorney. He'll give you an advocate for court. Well, that's interesting. And they would understand it as such. Five times this is used in the New Testament. We talked about last week. Four times the Holy Spirit, the parakletos in the court of the world. And one time referring to Jesus at the bar of God in heaven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, If anyone sins, we have a parakletos, an advocate, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he is our strong, my strong advocate. Secondly, last week, we saw that he is my sure rememberer, John 14, 26. But the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. My sure rememberer. But note again in verse 27, he goes on to say, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And so the paraclete promise of the Holy Spirit is in the context of a double portion of peace. The shalom, shalom of Isaiah 26.3, the steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom, because he trusts in you. He both abides in me and he comes upon me. Let me again refresh your memory from last week's study. There are three prepositions used with the Holy Spirit in terms of how he functions. Three prepositions in the Greek. The first one is para, which is used for alongside. Parakletos, one who comes alongside. And on a Wednesday a few weeks back, I think I, I said, just think of a pair of cleats. You know, coming alongside you. Parakletos, he walks alongside. But the other word, second word is in. E-N in the Greek, and it literally means I-N in English. In, abiding with. He will come alongside, he will abide in, and finally, and I think excitingly, is epi. And epi in the Greek means upon or overflowing the peace of Christ. In me, alongside me, and upon me. And specifically in his work with the follower, in me and upon me, that double portion of peace. We said last week, sometimes we don't have peace as followers of Jesus, because though we know we have the Spirit in us, we haven't experienced or we don't realize Him upon us. We don't go, don't go to Him and cry out. You know, when we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Well, some might say, well, isn't He in me already? Yes, He is. But He has promised you a double portion. He has promised you a peace that surpasses all understanding. How do we get that? We pray and ask. And He pours that out upon. And that upon becomes incredibly significant for the verses that we're going to look at today. He comes in me and upon me. And I'm reminding you of all this for a reason. We need His Spirit upon us. And I can't say that more simply or more clearly. I was thinking this morning as I was eating my little egg and and sausage at home. I have deep thoughts during eggs and sausage. And I was sitting there realizing that the Lord told Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 33, He said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to be a watchman for the house of Israel. And He said, but here's the deal, Ezekiel. If you tell the house of Israel my warning, if you give them my warning, and they choose not to listen, it's on them. But if you don't give my warning to them, It's on you. 
Now he brought that to mind very strongly to me this morning. And I don't know for certain, but I think the implication for me is, Rick, if you don't tell him this, it's on you. So i got to tell you this. We need the Holy Spirit upon us in a way that goes so far beyond any one of us. I need the Holy Spirit upon me, not for me. Now I'm getting ahead of myself, but that just needs to be clear. And I want to tell you all, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are living in a time, in an age, where if we don't have the Holy Spirit upon us, we will fall. And we will fail. This is the stuff of a must. An absolute must. Five paraclete promises of Jesus, John 14, 15, and 16. And we entered the courtroom. And my strong advocate is like a defense attorney. And my sure rememberer is like a court stenographer. Typing down everything, bringing it to mind, reminding me of all that He has already said. And paraclete promise number three, and it's the only one we're going to deal with this morning, is my saving witness. My saving witness. Look in John 15, verse 26 again. I will ask the Father... No, I'm sorry, that's John 14. John 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes... That strong advocate, that sure rememberer, my saving witness. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. And so now my strong witness, the Holy Spirit, takes the witness stand. In that courtroom, for us it's the courtroom of the world. As Jesus stands in the court of heaven, the Spirit stands in the courtroom of the world, He takes the witness stand Himself first. He goes up. And we begin now to learn why He's called the Spirit of Truth. Because there is no lie in Him. Because when He takes the stand, all He says is the truth. He is no false witness. He's no hostile witness either. He is solely and 100% on the side of Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 says, It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. Where truth is spoken, where truth resides, it is on account of the Spirit of the Lord. Just as Jesus said, I am the truth, the Spirit of God embodies truth, He brings truth. He reveals truth. And as I said, no lie can be found in Him. Now less than 12 hours after Jesus makes this statement, calls Him for the first time in the apostles' hearing the Spirit of Truth. He stands before Pilate. Beaten, battered, and bloodied. And in John 18.37, Pilate looks at Him and goes, So... You are a king? And Jesus answered and said, You say that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you are of deception, if you are of the enemy, if you are in rebellion, you're going to have a hard time hearing his voice. But if you are of the truth, if you are seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness, if you desire truth in your innermost being, if you are of the truth, you will hear His voice. Now the Spirit of truth does this. He is nothing like the so-called gods of this world. And there are a plethora of false gods in the world today. In America today... As President Obama said now several years ago, we are, no, we are not just a Jewish nation or a Christian nation. We are a nation of many different faiths. All bound together by a single, by, by, a, by a unifying set of values, he said. Which set? I mean, which one? What am I supposed to follow? What values am I supposed to take in and say, this is the truth on which I stand. When I happen to know that the values of so many false religions are absolute lies. I'm not taking in those values. I don't share those values. Rick, you sound a little divisive. Well, to stand on the truth will divide me from those who stand on the lies. 
This, this world of false gods. And understand that Yahweh, that Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, is the only God that so far I have ever heard of who is purely true, who is always true. He's never arbitrary. He is not demanding. And He is certainly not duplicitous in nature. How about Allah? Well, it depends on what mood He's in that day. And it really does. A faithful Muslim will tell you that Allah could change His mind about your salvation at the last minute if He so wills to, if He just wants to. You may or may not be saved. It just depends on how He feels that day. Well, that's encouraging. (laughs) Hinduism? Well, maybe you'll find the truth in your next life. Buddhism? Check this out. Buddha's last words, his last spoken words, quote, Behold, O monks, this is my last advice to you. All component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard and gain your own salvation. (laughs) Translation. Good luck, you're on your own. You know what John wrote about Jesus? He said, I I write these things to you so that you may know that you are saved. No question. And I don't find that anywhere else. The truth. In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He is the God of truth. Psalm 25, verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. I'm simply saying to you all, if you want the truth, you'll find Him in Jesus. If you want the truth, you need the Spirit of truth, the only Spirit of truth, the only God of truth. And that all other faiths, all other religions, are based on a lie. And I do not accept... That we are better off if we just water it all down and share a big bowl full of the values of all religions. I'm sorry, that will kill a nation. Agree with the spirit of truth or not. That's up to you. But he is true in all he says, in all he does. He is the perfect witness. What's he a witness of? What's his testimony? Jesus says, He will testify about Me. Well, what does that tell us? I said this last week. Let me repeat this to you. We come to know God through Jesus Christ. And we come to know Jesus through His Holy Spirit. Through the revelation of His Spirit. Through the witness, the testimony of the Spirit. This is how we truly come to know. Not know about Jesus. But know Jesus. Personally. Relationally. The only way is by the Spirit of the Lord. How do we know the Holy Spirit is active and doing His thing when Jesus is exhibit A? When Jesus is the one focused on, when Jesus is the one testified of, when it's all about Jesus, not when it's all about the evangelist on the stage. When we see those things happening, I highly question whether the Holy Spirit is truly at work. But when Jesus is glorified, when Jesus is honored, when He is the focus of all testimony, the Holy Spirit has just shown up. Because He will testify, Jesus says, about me. But my saving witness, on whom the entire case stands, His testimony works in two ways. And I want you to come back to these prepositions. Two specific ways that the Holy Spirit works. He works in me and He works upon me. Three ways those two things happen. And you may want to jot these down. Because the only other point this morning is that He's my saving witness. And I hope you already got that one. Three ways that this this works. is my saving witness. That His testimony specifically works in me and upon me. First, He works in me. Number one, the assurance of my saving witness. Assurance. The Holy Spirit abiding within me, Spirit of the Lord, who comes to me, abides with me when I have given my life over to Jesus, is assurance. Absolute assurance. Again, not like the duplicity of so many other religions, 
that I know, that I know, that I know when He comes upon me, my assurance. 2 Corinthians one twenty one says, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us, Paul writes, is God, who sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. An assurance that you are with Him, that you belong to Him, that you are one of His own. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul writes, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now what does that mean practically? Keep your finger in John 15 and go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. may not be a new passage to many of you, but it's one that every follower of Jesus ought to be incredibly familiar with. Worth reading over and studying again and again. Romans 8, 14. I'll pick it up there. Paul writes, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, You received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself, note this, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we also may be glorified with Him. The Spirit testifies. This is part of the Spirit's testimony. When Jesus says, He will testify of me, He does so to assure His followers. He testifies to your heart that you belong to Him. That you are one of His. Testifying of the love of Jesus in me. What He does truly is He shrugs off what I would call uncertain relativity. The Spirit in me shrugs off uncertain relativity. What do you mean by that, Rick? I mean this statement, and you may have thought this. I have in days past, long, long time ago. It might be true for all of you, but what if it's not true for me? The the Holy Spirit abiding in you that the Bible talks about, that may be great for all the rest of you saints. But I'm sitting here, and I'm just not sure if it applies to me. Uncertain relativity. I mean, you might as well take the next step and say, your truth may not be my truth. Hey, there's only one truth. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is just truth. A thing is either true or it is not true. And the spirit of truth comes in you to testify to you of an absolute reality. Not an uncertain relativity. When I hear people say, what if it's not for me? What if I'm one of those left out? What if I'm just not part of this? My question to you would be this. What makes you so special that God would exclude you out of all humanity in all history? What do you mean, Rick? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in Him? Well, yeah, I believe in Him, but I just... No! Do you believe in Him? Yes. Okay then. Certainty. 1 John 2, verse 2. John writes, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And to say Jesus is for some and not for all is a lie against the Spirit of truth. It's not true. The Spirit of God abides in you to testify this fact that you belong to Him if indeed you have simply believed in Jesus. If indeed you have simply given your life to Christ. But even as I study this, I realize I can sit here all day long and vouch for Jesus. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, his spirit testifies with our spirit. What he's telling us is only the spirit can confirm your identity. I can't do that for you. I can talk till I'm blue in the face. Have done it a few times. 
and I can say over and over, God loves you. Jesus died for you. His Spirit resides within you. But only His Spirit can prove that to you. Are you willing to let Him? The assurance of my saving witness, that is the work of the Spirit in me. But there is another work of the Spirit in me. Second, the presence of my saving witness. And this is where it gets interesting. The presence. Paul writes over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Very simple saying, but it's one that can be kind of overlooked if we don't slow down. He says, if we live by the Spirit, you know the verse? Let us also walk by the Spirit. Well, that's nice. Next verse. No, no. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? Is he just using walk as a synonym for live? The word walk, Galatians 5.25, the word walk is stoikeo in the Greek. And stoikeo means, well, three things. I've told you before, the Greek language is absolutely vivid. So thinking in terms of living by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, we will also stoikeo by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means, number one, a military term. It means to go out by rank. Rank and file, in order, with the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to live by the Spirit, i got to walk in step with the Spirit, in rank with the Spirit, as you would in a military term. Secondly, it's used as a calendar term. If we're going to live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. It means to be in harmony with, in the same way that the lunar calendar moves in harmony with the cycles of the moon, or the solar calendar moves in harmony with respect to the sun. The calendar is based off of the... That's why, by the way, Easter and Passover can get wonky sometimes. Can get messed up. Because we're on the solar calendar, and Israel's on the lunar calendar. So you got two different calendars trying to figure each other out. But I, either one of the calendars are in harmony with you know, that which they're based upon. And so that's the idea, being in harmony with. It's also used, stoikeo, as a philosopher's term. It's a term of agreement. To be in agreement. As Amos the prophet said, Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? How can you say I live by the Spirit but not live a life that is in agreement with the Holy Spirit of the living God? Which is why John says in another place, if you say that... You cannot lie and say that the truth is in you, in essence. So if I'm lying, but I'm saying I walk with the Spirit, you're not, because you're not in step with Him. You're not in agreement with Him. Am I making sense here? Am I making sense here? Okay, alright, good, good. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. Agreement. If I'm going to say I live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's stoikeo by the Spirit. Let's be in agreement like philosophers. Let's be in harmony like the calendar system. Let's go out in step as if we were in military rank with the Spirit of the living God. The presence of the saving Spirit in me becomes absolutely clear if I stoikeo with Him. If I'm walking with Him. You tell me you have the Spirit of God, but you're not going where the Spirit goes? You've got to wonder. Now, I'm not saying that if you get out of step with the Spirit, instantly He removes Himself from you. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying our responsibility is to keep in step, man. You want to live by the Spirit? You want the Spirit abiding within you? Walk with Him. Do what He does. Accept His Word as truth. Because, as I said before, He is the Spirit of truth. Let me give you a practical example. Acts 4.13 They observed the confidence of Peter and John and they understood that they were uneducated, untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That is such good news for the uneducated. That is great news for those who are untrained, for those who are ordinary, for the common. That we can be seen as those who have been with Jesus. I love that. He's my saving witness, working this this presence out in me, because His testimony is this, this one belongs to Jesus. Do people say that when they see you? Do people make the obvious assumption 
Bob belongs to Jesus. He's one of Jesus' guys. Yeah. Doug belongs to Jesus. He's one of Jesus' fellows. Can you say with assurance that that's what people see in you? You know what it is? It's innocence by association. Innocence by association. I associate with the Spirit of the Lord and He makes me innocent and He makes me different and He binds me to Jesus. That's His testimony in me. And He keeps me in stride. What if I get out of step? Simple. Pray in the Spirit. Find yourself wandering off. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means pray in the Spirit. I'm not sure how to make that... You know... Get away from all the spiritualizing and just take it as what it says. Pray in the Spirit. Seeking the Spirit of truth. Because both His assurance and His presence bring out the testimony of Jesus in me. And this is the most important point this morning. And this is the reason, by the way, that I'm just sitting on these two little verses in the middle of John 15. His assurance and His presence in me bring out His testimony through me. And it's absolutely vital. You see, along with Him abiding in me, Jesus also promised that He would be poured out upon me. Poured out upon me. What does that mean? Number three, you might jot this down, the perseverance. The perseverance of my saving witness. Now look at John 15, 27. And you will testify also. Jesus says to the apostles, because you have been with me from the beginning. Applied to you and to me this day, you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of your faith. From the moment that you believed, you have been with me, Jesus says. From the moment that you accepted my lordship in your life, you have been with me. And you will testify also. Back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out the apostles on a little mission. It was the first great commission. The great commission of Matthew 28 is actually the second great commission, which is a worldwide great commission. But the first commission in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent the apostles out simply to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as he's preparing them to go out on this little mini mission and to send them out into the villages and through the counties, he starts preparing them and suddenly us for things that did not happen to them on that mission, but would happen much, much later. Matthew 10, 17, I'll read this to you. He says, beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, Paul was, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Mark 13, verse 11, the same comments, but a different view of this. Jesus says, when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Look in your Bibles at John 16, verse 1. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling, that is kept from being offended, They will make you outcast from the synagogue. In our case, they may make you outcast from the church. For following the spirit of truth? Brothers and sisters, there are already some churches that claim to follow Jesus that would kick me out for simply telling you what I'm telling you this morning. There are churches that would kick me out for not towing the party line of where our culture is going. Jesus says an hour is coming for everyone. And you might want to note the words for everyone. For everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Spirit of the Lord, 
bears witness in you and comes upon you, so, understand this, so that you would be a bold and faithful witness yourself in this world. That is the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. That is first and foremost why He comes upon you. That you would be a bold and faithful witness. We see the beginning of this fulfillment in the second chapter of Acts. Compare that to to John 16 verse 12. Where where Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I said this on Wednesday night. That phrase, you cannot bear them now, in the Greek, u dunamis vestadzo is the phrase. You cannot bear them now. In other words, you don't have power to handle what I need to tell you. So I have more to tell you. I'm not going to tell you right now because you don't have the power yet. The dunamis. When do they get the power? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, epi, upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. That's the third participle. That epi, that upon, that coming upon in power. That is, my friends, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That John the Baptist said, Jesus is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus owned that phrase himself. The one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Rick, I'm not a Pentecostal. Neither am I! But like I said, independent fellowship, we don't have any strings tying us to anything, just the Word of God. So let's take Him at His Word. And Jesus says, you will receive power, dunamis, when my Spirit comes upon you. Power for what, Lord? Power to be my witnesses. Power to be my witnesses. Listen. Unless the Spirit of truth comes upon me, I will never be the kind of witness He needs me to be in this world. Let me say that again. Unless the Spirit of truth comes upon me, I will never be the kind of witness He desires for me to be or He has called me to be in this world. You know, the two primary reasons given for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon, if you, if you prefer that. Don't even use the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't like it, just say soaked. Immersed. Just say the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. That's fine. You don't have to get all hung up with words. It's the action we're concerned with here. And the two primary reasons for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, listen, has nothing to do with you. Do you realize that? That's part of the problem. That's part of where people get hung up. We sing songs like, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Why? Because I need the buzz. Because I want the experience. Because I want the feeling. And the two main reasons for the Holy Spirit coming upon me are not for me. Have nothing to do with me. What are you saying, Rick? Reason number one is ministry in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 is all about the gifts of the Spirit that the body can function in unity and in love and in service one to another. Ministry to the body, that's not for me. I bumped into to Dave, our, our drummer out here, and, and apparently my, my mother-in-law had sent him a card. That's, she is a card woman. Many of you know this. She, if she hears someone's got something going on, she sends out a card. I mean, that's, that's what she does. I kind of laughed and I said, well, Dave, that's not my ministry. (laughs) I don't do that. You're lucky if you'll ever get a card from Pastor Rick. I just don't care enough, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I'm kidding. But it's ministry in the body. Caring one for another, loving each other, doing what you do for the sake of your brothers and sisters. And that is the Holy Spirit upon you who empowers you to do those things that maybe I'm not card guy. But I got gifts for this body. To bless and to encourage and to lift up and to build up the body of Christ. And that is not about me. It is about you. It is about the church. And so the Holy Spirit comes on me for that, for for ministry. But Jesus isn't even talking about that here. 
When He says, He who comes from Me, I will send to you the Spirit of truth. He will testify about Me and you will testify also. He's talking about the second and more important reason, witnessing. The witness, and that again, is not for you. I was saved when I was 10 years old and everything I've done and or said for Jesus the rest of my life has not been for me. I got my salvation. I got my ticket. I got a golden ticket. I won't break into the song. You will testify also. Acts 4.31 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness and the church grew like wildfire. One of the exciting things about studying through the book of Acts is we get to see example after example after example of exactly what I'm telling you right now and that is the Holy Spirit falls upon people and they just go witness and they go minister and they go out for the Lord and it's active and it's exciting. Should have called it the book of active. By the way, I'll tell you this right now. The book of Acts is not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's His work on them that made all the difference in this world. Now, recently I've shared a couple of articles with you. A couple of polls about Christianity in America. Maybe you've seen all the little headlines come up. And USA Today keeps bringing it back up. And then they got people to tweet their responses to it. And the responses were, for the most part, lame. And, and I read this stuff. And as I've gone through this... Well, two things. Let me tell you this. First of all, I recognize reading through it that the big problem that the pollsters and those reporting about it have is they don't recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. They just looked at the church as an institution like the Lions Club or the Kiwanis. We're not the Lions Club. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, okay, I'll give you that one. We're not the Kiwanis. We're not a community service organization. We are the church of the living God. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, just as the body without the Spirit is dead, so the church without the Spirit is dead. And what all these pollsters say, oh, Christianity is dying in America. (laughs) Not until the Holy Spirit goes out of town. Not until the Lord pulls His Spirit out. This will not die on planet Earth. It can't because the Spirit's here. And that's what people don't recognize. But listen, we we saw these articles and there was that one that I mentioned to you that states that that overall there's been an 8% decline in Christianity over the last 8 years. Good news. Among evangelicals within that, though there has been an 8% decline, there's a 1% increase among evangelicals and and simply put, those who believe that we should tell people about Jesus. There's been a 1% increase. 1%? I didn't even catch that the first time around. I was just thankful that evangelicals weren't, you know, going down too. Until I began to think about this and process this. Does it bother anybody else that there's been only a 1% increase of evangelical believers in this country in eight years? What is wrong with us? How can that be? Why don't we see the spread of the gospel, which is the best news in the world, and it is truth, and it is grace, and it is love, and mercy, and forgiveness, and eternal salvation? Why don't we see that on the constant increase, as opposed to a paltry 1%? Where's the church? I'm going to throw out Rick's supposition, and I could be wrong. So this is just my thinking. I think maybe we're far too concerned about what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And not nearly concerned enough about what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. We're far too... It's drench or quench. Drench or quench. Drench me! I just want to feel and and be moving in that, you know, exciting, powerful... Drench or quench. I'm not going to get weird. Don't talk to me about that spirit stuff. Just let me read my Bible and go home. Drench or quench. And we get so hung up on this and and we're, we're looking inward. And when I say we, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I'm talking about me and I'm talking about the larger church and why I think we're not seeing in America the church on the increase like like they did in 
second chapter of Acts. 3,000 one day, followed by 5,000, followed by 10,000, followed by the mass explosion of Christianity throughout the world. By the way, at the time of greatest persecution for the church ever. It just grew. I have the promise of the Spirit abiding within me. I do. And He assures me of my salvation. And His presence assures me that I am not alone. But my friends, it's all about what the Spirit wants to do through us. And I think sometimes we miss that. I think Jesus is just saying, can I get a witness? Can I just get a witness? Is there anyone who's willing to just go speak my name to a lost person and risk what might fall out of that? And you will testify also. In Jerusalem first. That's what Jesus said. In Jerusalem first. And the apostles were all chucked into prison for it. Every one of them. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, chapter 4. But then over in Acts chapter 5, all of them were thrown into prison. The whole game. And we're told in Acts chapter 5, it's a great story because when the prison guard went to get them to bring them before the Sanhedrin, the bars were locked, but no one was home. We don't know what happened. It was all locked up, neat and tidy, but all these guys were gone. They were just out. They went looking for them, and guess where they found the apostles? Right back in the temple preaching, which is what got them thrown into prison in the first place. They went right back to the same thing they were doing. They're nuts. What's wrong with these guys? They're preaching the word. So the temple guard dragged the apostles back before the Sanhedrin again. Listen to this. Acts 5.27 When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I remind you that they had already cried out right before the crucifixion, His blood be upon us. They brought that on themselves. Verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Mind you, within that same year, this is a group of guys who are cowering in an upper room, not sure what to do with themselves. Having no impact whatsoever. Suddenly now, they can't stop. They just can't stop. He says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging Him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, listen to this. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. We are witnesses, Peter said. And so is the Holy Spirit. And it's the reverse of exactly what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will testify of Me, and you will testify also. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, my saving witness, is through Me desiring to save the lost in Jesus' name. And you will testify also. The word testify, just so you know, you Bible students probably know this, it's marchureo. Marchureo means to bear witness. It's from the root word martus, which is where we got our English word martyr. And all of the martyrdom that we see, so-called suicide bombers calling themselves jihadi martyrs, that's not martyrdom, it's, it's, it's murder. There's martyrdom and there's murder. Murder is when you go intentionally killing other people for your cause. Whatever that cause is. Martyrdom is when you are killed for your cause. When you are killed bearing witness to the truth. When you, like the apostles on that day, you can't shut up. you got to talk about Jesus. I'm not here to offend, but I can't help but speak in His name. And note this, not long after the church was born, this brand new infant movement in the name of Christ, intense persecution broke out. 
And for the next 282 years multiplied millions of witnesses, millions of those bearing witness, millions of martyrs gave up their lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. They had something that I think is missing. They couldn't be stopped. They had to speak in the name everywhere they went, wherever they were. The Holy Spirit had empowered them to do so. A man named Tertullian in the second century wrote the following. He said, the blood of the martyrs is seed. And again, don't be confused by the whole jihadi suicide bomber thing. That's not martyrdom. Martyrdom is self-sacrifice. Martyrdom is saying, do what you will with me. i got to tell you about Jesus. The blood of the martyrs is seed. What did Tertullian mean? He meant the more you kill Christians, the more Christianity spreads. The more Christians who take the shot, who take the hit for faith in Jesus, the more seed falls into the ground and grows. And that's exactly what happened. It's what we see happening in China today. That's why the house church movement cannot be stopped. It's just growing like wildfire. It's why people in China will say, Christians there, one in particular, Brother Young, who made the comment, please don't pray that persecution stops here. Because if you pray persecution stops, so will the spread of the gospel. They understand something. That we in the church in America, I think, have misunderstood over the years. How could they do it? 282 years of nonstop bloodshed. Because the Christians wouldn't shut up. Why? Because they had the power of the Spirit at be upon them. Paul said in Philippians 3.7, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Why, Paul? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Ask Pastor Saeed Abedini. Many of you have been praying for Pastor Saeed. He has been in an Iranian prison for two years now. Because an American citizen, he went back to Iran and began preaching the gospel against the law. And he's in prison and has been for two years. They're declaring ultimately they're going to execute him. His wife, meanwhile, is going all over the United States preaching in His name, talking about Him, preaching in Jesus' name, but but sharing their story, sharing that testimony. ISIS has a hit out on Pastor Saeed, even in prison. They call upon all those who would follow their ways of jihad to kill this man wherever they find him. You might say, okay, well... I hear you getting all worked out, Rick. You know, uh, martyrdom and persecution. I get that. It happened historically in different places and in the church in the first 282 years. I get that. And I pray for Pastor Saeed. I know that's happening in the Middle East, other places in the world. I, I understand that. But, but that wouldn't happen here in America, right? I hope I'm wrong. But I believe the Lord... This very morning, said, Rick, you need to tell them this. And if you don't, it's on your head. What do I need to tell you? (laughs) How long until fines become jail time in America? We're already seeing people fined for their faith. Fined for maintaining biblical values, biblical standards. And because they choose to follow God's word and not engage in what God's word would call sinful activity, they're being fined. Now this is already happening. You know this. When are the fines going to turn into jail time for those who are committing so-called hate speech simply by doing what this book says? How long until pastors and teachers preaching the plain truth of God's word end up facing fines and summons and court and even detention? How long? It's not even a question I would have asked 20 years ago. But today, I need you all to know I fully expect it. And I'm not saying that to upset anyone. I'm not saying that to unnerve anyone. This is not a call to arms. It's not, it's not a, a cry of alarm. Oh no, oh no. We're all under attack here now. That's not what I'm saying at all. Well, what are you saying, Rick? 
It's not a pep talk, gang. What I'm telling you is, we are talking about the paraclete promises of Jesus Christ. This is about the spirit of truth. And all I'm saying is, if these things should happen, when these things happen, if they do happen before we're called home, guess what? You have a strong advocate. You have a sure rememberer. You have a saving witness in the Holy Spirit of the living God who not only dwells within you, but has desired to come upon you. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4.6 And one way or another, like it or not, every follower of Jesus will eventually be called to the witness stand. What are you going to do when it's you? Well, I'm just going to sit toward the back and duck my head and maybe it won't be me. It will be. I'm telling you, every one of us at some point or another in our lives will be called to the witness stand for Christ. What are you going to do? What are you going to say when you get up there? Going to dodge the questions? Going to dance around the truth? Or will you testify also of Jesus? His name was Antipas. Jesus said this about him. In a letter to the church in Pergamum, Revelation 2.13, he said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. If you hold fast my name, or you do hold fast my name, you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. How many of you know all about Antipas? We get one verse in the Bible. Well, one person who knows. Let me tell you about Antipas. One verse naming him as one who was killed in days of persecution. And that's all we get in Scripture. But Tertullian, the same man, alive within a century of Antipas. Tertullian tells us what happened to him. Antipas was a dentist. Just a simple dentist. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a bishop in a church. Just a dentist. Antipas lived in the Greek city of Pergamum in Asia Minor, Turkey today. And at that time, all the people were being forced by Roman law to offer up incense in worship to Caesar. And everybody would do it. And they came to Antipas and he refused. The procurator from Rome came up to Antipas said, Antipas, if you refuse, the whole world will be against you. And Antipas replied, then I am against the whole world. Interesting, his name in the Greek, Antipas, means against all. Because this man would stand against all for the sake of the name of Jesus. He refused. He would not offer up that incense. He refused to worship anyone other than Jesus, even in the face of the whole world in opposition, even if he were to stand absolutely alone. So they fried him alive in a large brass bowl. And that was how Antipas died. And you will testify also, Jesus says. Even if the whole world is against you, Can you say, I will take the stand for Christ? All I can do is put the word out there. But as Jesus said, it's it's His Spirit who would testify, and you must testify also. And He said in Acts 1.8, And you shall be My witnesses even to the remotest part of the earth, even to northwest Washington. Let's pray together. Father, we need You desperately in these days. And I know, Lord, I know there may be some even here this morning who would say, Rick, you're just you're, you're, you're calling out an alarm that is premature. But Father, we need Your Spirit and not for ourselves. Well, we have Your Spirit in us. And we praise You and we thank You. I thank You every day, Lord, that I have that assurance of Your presence. Lord, I need Your Spirit upon me. 
And I do pray that You are poured out fresh and new on me and in my life and on this fellowship. All those who would welcome Your power, power, Father, to, to, to testify, power to minister, power for others, and not just for self. Lord, I pray that You will lift the eyes of the church in the world today. Lift our eyes off of ourselves and put them back onto Jesus, our testimony, and give us the strength to stand as Your witnesses until You come, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together. We ask the prayer team to come on up. And my call to you this morning, as with any Sunday, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, come forward today. Pray with one of these folks. They're not intimidating. They're just common everyday people like me, like you. Come and pray to receive the Lordship of Jesus in your life if you've never done that. And if you have, and if you are a follower of Jesus and you have committed your life to Him, but you feel like, ah, I'm, I'm really not doing anything for Him. I've just told you what it's going to take. It's not going to take your desire to be stronger for Jesus. It's going to take His Spirit upon you. And so I invite you to come forward while we sing this song and simply ask someone to pray with you that His Spirit will come upon you in power to do what He wants to do in in these last days. Let's sing together. You think about that and respond as God tells you to.